0: And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you as we do week by week to join us here in this place. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. My family is a family laden with traditions. We have a certain way that we do things, and we always do them that way. There can be no negotiation. And Christmas just brings that to a whole new level. As a child, our Christmas traditions were legion. We went to cut our Christmas tree down on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, but then stored it on a locked and screened-in porch until Christmas Eve, when it was brought into the house, set up, and decorated with the rest of the house. On Christmas morning, we kids were not allowed out of our rooms until an adult came and got us to tell us that it was time. We then assembled at the top of the staircase in reverse order of age. My little sister always got to go downstairs first. We would open the stocking presents immediately, but then it was breakfast and church before getting to the under the tree presents. Now, I'd say that if any of these traditions wasn't followed, Christmas would have been ruined. But there was never any question that any of these traditions wouldn't be followed. There was never a deviation. This, and of course, what I've described to you is just the tip of the iceberg. This was done (laughs) religiously every year. But the best of our Christmas traditions was the movies. We would watch a Christmas movie every night from Thanksgiving... To Christmas, Or more accurately, since both my parents were seriously early to bed people, we watched half a Christmas movie every <laughs> night from Thanksgiving to Christmas. My dad had, and now I have, just about every Christmas movie you can imagine, from the impossibly cheesy to the truly heartwarming. And as I read this week's reading from Isaiah 35, I was reminded of one of the most classic Themes of the Christmas movie genre, the theme of home. So many Christmas movies are all about home, finding home, getting home, being home. One of my favorite Christmas movies is literally called The Homecoming, and that might be a nice title for what Isaiah is prophesying in his 35th chapter here. Isaiah sees a homecoming. As we get into this prophecy, we see the same themes that we saw last week in chapters 1 and 2 of Isaiah. The coming Messiah, the mess that the world is now, and the beautiful place he's going to make it when he comes. Last week it was swords beaten into plowshares, spears, into pruning hooks. And this imagery, of course, is seen all throughout the book. Just sit down and read Isaiah. He sees wolves living with lambs, leopards lying down with baby goats, human children playing innocently with poisonous snakes. And this week in Isaiah 35, we have more of this renewed natural order imagery. The wilderness, Isaiah sees, and the dry land shall be glad The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. He describes waters breaking forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, burning sand becoming a pool, thirsty ground becoming springs of water, the haunt of jackals becoming a swamp. You and I think of swamps as bad things, but here it's a it's a. Place teeming with life as opposed to the haunt of jackals. And again, how is all of this going to come to pass? The answer is the same as it was last week at the beginning of Isaiah. And it is the Advent answer. God himself is coming to earth. We see it in verses 3 and 4. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance. With terrible recompense, he will come and save you. Now, I get that that's a little awkward juxtaposition there. We're going to get into the meaning of the vengeance and terrible recompense a bit at the end of this morning's sermon. But it is once again God's arrival on the scene that brings these streams out of the desert, that brings life (coughs) into death, that renews the natural order. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. These things that didn't exist, sight, hearing, speech, will be created, life out of death, by the arrival of the saving God. (coughs) But Isaiah has a new theme for us this week in this chapter. And it comes to the foreground when he's talking about who is going to get to enjoy this redeemed land. And it has to do with that eternal Christmas idea of coming home. We read about it in verses 8 to 10. I'll read them to you now. A highway shall be there, says Isaiah. It shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Okay, so far so good. We have a highway upon which the righteous are traveling, and it's totally safe. Now notice, and this is really cool, I think. Notice which way... The redeemed people are walking on this holy way. Verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The ransomed of the Lord, those whom God has rescued, shall return. They are coming home. The people God has saved are now coming home. Now, Isaiah is talking about the physical return of the people of Israel from their exile. But he's also prophesying here on a grander scale. See, the story of Isaiah is just a smaller version of the story of the whole Bible, which is the story of the entire human race, right? In Genesis... In the very beginning in Eden, we were at home. But then we lost our home. And we lost it because we turned away from God. The penalty for sin was expulsion from the garden. All of a sudden, we are not home anymore. And that's how the story begins. And then we have the whole Bible. And then in Revelation, all the way at the other end of the story... We see God recreating a garden and welcoming his people back home. But between now and then, every human being is in exile. Spiritually, we are homeless. But Isaiah sees a future homecoming made possible by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you know the value of home. Even if your home was one that you escaped at the first moment you could, you know what kind of home you wish you had. Home is a place of rest, of peace. Uh, I went to my uncle's home for Thanksgiving, and his home is loving and warm and welcoming, but I was ready at the end of the holiday to be back in my home. His home, as lovely as it is, is not my home. I'm like this at the end of every trip I take. I want to be home. In my home, where everything feels right. In my home, I am at peace. In this world, we are homeless. We were not designed for this place. We were built for Eden, for a communion with God. Here is not there. And to use some examples just from our reading this morning, here are deserts and wilderness, weak hands, feeble knees, fearful hearts. Here are things like blindness and deafness, lameness, speechlessness, thirsty ground, the haunt of jackals. This is not as it should be. As C.S. Lewis famously said, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And we were. And what is the world for which we were made? Well, the Bible says in Psalm 90 that God himself is our home. Lord, the psalmist writes, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. You, God, have been where we live, our home. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. We were made to be in God. God is our home. And so it turns out that that home theme in all those Christmas movies is right on the money. That's what Christmas is all about. Home is the biblically accurate theme for a Christmas movie. And The Homecoming may be the most appropriately named Christmas movie ever. But, we always have some buts. This sermon has two buts. This is the first one. But, The Homecoming is a struggle. The movie is about a family waiting for their father to arrive. It's late, he's late. And they're worried. There's been a storm. They don't know if he's safe. He's promised to come home, but he has not yet arrived. Their home is incomplete. Sounds like Advent, doesn't it? Sounds like life in this place. In this place, sin still abounds. In this place, the curse of Eden is still with us. And since our home is incomplete, and since we are sinners, we become idol makers. Rather than returning to the home for which we are made, we seek to make our own homes. Homes for ourselves. And this is connected to idol making because... When we turn things that are not God into gods, we are trying to make things that cannot be our home into a home. This can include career, family, political cause, physical beauty, anything that you can convince yourself can give you the peace of being home. But they cannot and will not give you lasting peace. They are not home. And as long as you try to make them home, you will not be satisfied. This is the curse of sin. Trying desperately to make a home out of something that cannot be your home. There can be no rest in those places. No peace. There is only wandering and homelessness. And so as sinners, we are in exile. We are not home. But, and this is the second but, but Isaiah does have good news for the exiled, for the homeless. The ransomed of the Lord will return, he promises. They will come to Zion with singing. The Messiah will come and bring us home. This is the good news to which Advent points. This is the good news of Christmas. Spoiler alert. If we are in exile, expelled from Eden because of sin and separated from a holy God, the God who is our real home, if we are in exile and Jesus is coming to bring us home, well, it makes all the sense in the world that his story, Jesus's story, should begin and end In homelessness. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them in the inn. There was no place for him. He was, for a time, homeless. And this was a theme of Jesus' life. Later in Luke, in the midst of his ministry, Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There was no place for him. He was homeless. And of course, his final homelessness was experienced on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, Psalm 90. The Lord is our dwelling place. God is our home. But in that moment, not for Jesus. Not on that day. The penalty for sin is expulsion from our home. And your Savior experienced that expulsion in your place for you. Jesus became homeless so that you never have to be. As we close this morning, I want to go back to that strange and frightening way that Isaiah talks about the coming of the Lord. Verses three and four of our reading. Here is your God, he says. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Uh, He's coming with vengeance and terrible recompense. And he's coming to save. How does that work? Here is good news. Your God will come with vengeance against sin. He will come with terrible recompense. Against iniquity but that vengeance and terrible recompense will be exhausted at the cross it will not be laid on you the sinner who deserves it it will be laid on the shoulders of the sinless one your savior it will make God himself Jesus Christ homeless and at the same time Because of Christ's homelessness, you will be welcomed home. Because of him, you are saved. On account of Jesus, God is and will be your dwelling place. In him, you are and always will be home. Amen.